Well, what's up, fam? How are you guys doing today? Hey, I don't know about you, but uh, apparently when I say I love snow, it snows. So I love the heat. I love the sun. There is nothing like 120 degrees. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. If you are new with us, the big joke around here is that I control the weather because I say I like the snow or I like the cold. Or I'm just going to stop being the weatherman and just start being Stevie, and uh, hopefully that's okay. Uh, but anyways, I am pumped to be able to share the word with you this morning. Uh, my iPad needs to unlock. Pastor Stan, keep your comments to yourself. There we go. All right. Hey, but before I get going, I just want to pause and just say thank you to our pastor. Um, give, him, give him a round of applause. He's a good guy. Amazing guy. Man of God. And uh, truly a servant of Jesus, and I just want to say thank you for allowing me as your executive to share the platform this morning, to share from my heart. Amen. Hopefully I don't mess up and get fired, and uh, I'm just kidding. But today I want to, I want to dive into a conversation, and uh, I, want to, I want to have this conversation with you and uh, get into it. But before I do, you need to know the title of my sermon today is Pink Elephant Conversations. So let me address the pink elephant in the room right now. I am a man and I'm using a pink background for my PowerPoint. That's because I'm okay with who I am. I used a pink gun to go hunting and I will use a pink background on my PowerPoint. Anyways, regardless of the point, uh, I think uh, the, the conversations that Jesus had with his disciples, now we're just coming off of Easter. So Jesus having these conversations, he actually has like three really awkward conversations with his disciples. And we're going to dive into one of those conversations today that I want, to, I want to talk about. And it's totally like a pink elephant in the room. Everyone is sitting there watching this conversation take place that we're going to talk about today. And, and I find it, it humoring and I find it engaging at the same time. And I think there's valuable information in this conversation we're going to look at today um, of, of how you and I can grow, how you and I can be better followers of Jesus when we walk out of those doors uh, this afternoon. I'm getting a slight ring. You guys hear that? Alan's working on it. Thank you, Bo. Um, anyways, have you ever questioned your mom or your dad growing up? Hey, who named me? Anybody, anybody ever do that? Anybody in this room? Am I the only weird one? Okay, good. There's a few of you guys like, hey, mom, was it you? Dad, was it you? Like, who, who loved me more? <laughs> who, who cared about me enough to give me a name? You know, I remember growing up and having this conversation uh, with my parents only to be continually let down because whether it was my dad who named me, it was bad. Whether it was my mom who named me, it was still bad because who in their right, name, right mind names their son Stevie Nicks? I, my mom and dad were stuck in the 70s and the 80s and Fleetwood Mac was at an all-time high. I don't know why people like Stevie Nicks anyways. She, sing, she sounds like a goat when she sings, but I, thank, you, thank you. Someone agrees. Thank you. I only agree because she stole my name. But regardless, I don't know who would do that, but apparently my parents did. And I've joked about this before um, because it's the highlight of my life. And, uh, but I remember when, when Kristen got pregnant with Tatum, we actually contemplating passing on generational curses and um, naming Tatum Stevie. Like we, we almost did. I was like, hey, you know what? Put it onto a female where it belongs, Stevie Nicks, and then let's raise her. You know, so we almost named Tatum Stevie, but the day that she was born and I held her in my little hands and I looked in those beautiful blue eyes of hers, I went, yeah, no, you're Tatum. You are Tatum. And then when Riker was about to be born, uh, you know, we did what everyone does. They get on Google and they search unique baby names. 
Not enough there. So unique boy, baby names, not enough there. Unique modern baby boy names, like you're trying to find anything you can to not name your son Stevie, right? And so I don't know who in their right mind names their son after a prison. <laughs> Apparently the type that's named after a woman. So I mean, regardless of where we were, uh, but no, for, for Riker, we wanted a name that meant strong and stubborn. Uh, I think stubborn is a good thing. Uh, I think if you can hone that stubbornness, uh, in a direction, I think it can be a very valuable character trait for a person, and that's what I'm hoping for with my son, hoping the same for my daughter, uh, but obviously we wanted a name that meant strong, bold, courageous, and stubborn, and so we picked Riker because it was fitting for him. Also, nobody wants to say I got in a fight with Riker. It just sounds scary, um, but either way, all of us are born, and we are given a natural name, every single one of us. When you were born, Bob, Jeff, but Stan, I, I would have taken Stan over Stevie, I'm just saying, but uh, anything, like Chris or John or Matthew, or I'm going biblical now, but regardless, we're all given a natural name at birth, and really it doesn't matter if your mom named you or your dad named you, uh, but some of these names in the course of human history have become famous. Some of these names have stood out among the rest. You could think of natural history. You could think of Alexander the Great. You could think of all these men and all these women who did amazing things and their names were written on parchment for thousands of years, telling the stories of who these people are, what they did, what the effects of their actions were. And you can see all this in human history and the Bible is no different. In the Bible, you see characters arise and you see characters fall. You see characters who stand out among the rest. If I asked you, uh, what is the most famous disciple? Um, most of you would come back with either one of two. You'd either say John or you'd say Simon Peter. And today we are going to be talking about Simon and talking about what he did. Uh, he's one of the names in the Bible who stands out among the other disciples. Um, I think it's because, I think we give Simon a, a bad rap. I think like we preachers love to pick on Simon. Um, but I think Simon shows the human nature of every single one of us of how flawed we really are. And I think that's even why the Bible and the Holy Spirit kind of not picks on, but uses Simon as a huge example for us as, as followers of Jesus of how we can become closer to him. And so Simon stands out. He made some of the worst decisions of the other disciples. He, he said some of the dumbest things that any disciple could possibly say, but don't act like you're not guilty. And then he, one time he even cut off the ear of a temple servant. That, I'm talking about Simon Peter today, and I'm just saying right now, if, if God could use Simon for attacking a church employee, I'm sure that he can use you. However, attacking church employees is not a requirement. So on your way out today, please do not attack church employees or you will have Pastor Stan coming at you with a shepherd staff ready to fight. And I'll be right there with him going, yeah, like a little chihuahua, it'll be great. Simon made some dumb mistakes, just like all of us, and so I want to dive into this conversation, but before I can even get to this conversation, I've really got to set it up, and I've really got to show you what's been going on and why this conversation with Simon has to take place. So let's look at the week leading up to Easter. We're going to jump right into the Friday evening, the Last Supper. They're hanging out. This is the week of Passover for the Hebrews. And Jesus is sitting there with them, and he tells them pretty plainly. He breaks the bread, he, he pours the wine, and he says, Hey guys, I'm going to be handed over to the government. I will be betrayed, I will be killed, but on the third day I will rise again. And glory to glory to glory that has happened, and now we can experience the fullness of what God has for us because of this. But Simon Peter is sitting there, and he says to Jesus, Hey, even if all these other disciples 
left you and abandoned you and you did get handed over, Jesus, I would never abandon you. In fact, Jesus, I'm willing to die for you. I love you more than the rest of these guys is what he's saying. I, I love you more than any of these other disciples. Man, I'm here with you, Jesus. I love you so much. And Jesus turns to him and he says the famous phrase that many of you know Simon Peter for. He says, Simon, before the rooster crows three times, or before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Meaning in the next 12 hours, Peter, three times you will deny me. And so Jesus is explaining this to the 11 men around the table. He says, hey, look, one of you is betraying me right now. I don't know why they didn't put it together that it was Judas, but it was Judas. He's out there. He's, he's going to get his 30 pieces of silver to turn Jesus over. And Peter and Judas now, get this, are the only ones mentioned in betraying him. All the other, the, the other 10 disciples that are there, they all betrayed him too. However, Peter and Judas are the only ones mentioned. And Judas is the one who basically caused the whole thing to happen. Peter's betrayal was a ramification of Judas's actions, if you look at it. However, Peter is mentioned and Judas is mentioned. Not Thomas, the one who doubts. Not Matthew. Not, not the, John. None of these other guys are mentioned. Not the brothers of Jesus. No, no, no. Just Peter and just Judas. Now, the difference is that one had a soft heart and the other had a heart that was calloused. So, the next morning comes along and Jesus has been betrayed by Judas in the garden of Gethsemane. And they are sitting there and, and the temple servant comes and that's when Peter pulls out his sword. And I gotta say, Peter's kind of standing by what he said. Jesus, even if all these other ones desert you, I won't, I'll die for you. Peter, at some point, you gotta give him some credit and say, he was kind of serious. As long as it fit his narrative. See, because what he thought is that Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman government in Jerusalem and restore God's kingdom here on earth. And so Peter's sitting there saying, oh man, we can't lose, right? Peter didn't have the end of the book yet. We have the end of the book. We know we can't lose, but Peter's like, we can't lose. And so he actually draws his sword out, cuts off the ear of a temple servant, and Jesus reaches down, grabs the ear, heals the servant who's taking him into custody, still heals the guy, and then Peter essentially kind of drifts off into the darkness and runs away for the evening, getting out of there. Why? Because it no longer fit his narrative. It, Jesus is supposed to overthrow the government. He's not supposed to be arrested. See, Simon had seen Jesus be confronted by the government. Simon had seen Jesus elude arrest and elude crowds. And so Simon's thinking the same thing's going to happen again, but all of a sudden chains are put on the Savior. And Simon's like, hold on a second. This doesn't... It's not supposed to go like this. You ever had a day where you're like, it's not supposed to go like this today. This is not how it's supposed to be. In those moments can be some of the darkest and scariest moments of your life because the decisions you make in that dark moment will affect you. Amen. They will have ramifications on your next day. So in the dark and in the deep moments right there, when it's outside of the narrative of what you thought or how it should be or what it should be, don't make, rational, don't make irrational decisions. Stop in that moment and say, okay, hold on. Jesus, what do you want me to do? Yeah. Jesus did not want Peter and the disciples to run away, but they did. They deserted him right there in the garden of Gethsemane. And so Peter is sitting there and he's watching all of this take place. He's sitting around a fire and someone says, hey, I know you, you, you were with him. Peter first time says, no, I wasn't. I don't even know the guy. Who are you talking about? That guy? Never seen him before in my life. Second time someone comes by and says, dude, your accent is giving you away. 
the way you talk, homie, you were with him. You, you know this guy. And Peter's like, bro, I know no such guy. What are you talking about? I'm just sitting here by the fire watching a trial take place. I don't know what you're talking about. Third guy comes by and Peter actually cusses the dude out and says, I do not know the man. And right in that moment, the rooster crows and Jesus looks at Peter. Peter looks at Jesus. Can you imagine the hurt that Jesus felt? I think that's a prophecy Jesus didn't want to come true. I think that's a moment where he, he didn't want that to happen. But also at the same time, let's put ourselves in Peter's shoes because we're more like Peter than we are Jesus. And let's stop for a second and realize the pain that Peter just realized that he's in. My savior just watched me betray him. Jesus just watched me deny him. The rooster crowed, the prophecy came true. I have essentially in this moment betrayed the one I've given my life to. I've denied him to his face that, that Jesus in all of the crowd, he would see me as that rooster crows. He knew exactly where Simon Peter was. However, Jesus, Peter continues to watch the trial. He continues to watch Jesus get whipped on the, on the 40 minus one. He sees Jesus executed on a cross. He sees all of this take place. And for three days, I promise you this, for three days, he lived with that betrayal in his heart. That when he laid his, bed, his head down on that bed every night, I bet you he heard that rooster crowing. And he saw the eyes of Jesus, the disappointment, that look of, you left me. Peter lived with that for three days. Let's, let's be real here and, and honest about the emotions going on in Simon Peter's heart today, that he was hurting from what he did However, on the third day, Jesus is back. The, the stone is rolled away. The tomb is empty and the disciples are hiding in a room. Why? They betrayed him. I, I, I don't think they were as excited about him being alive as they should have been. They were afraid of him. We betrayed him. We left him. And now everyone is saying he's alive. This is terrifying to us. And so Jesus appears to him the first time up there in that room. The door is locked. Thomas is not there. And we go through the whole thing with Thomas and his doubt. He says, unless I see his hands and see the wound in his side, I will not believe. Jesus appears to them a, a couple days later. And Thomas is now with them. And he says, hey, Thomas, put your hand in my hand. Put your hand in my side where I was stabbed. Do not be unbelieving, but be believing, Thomas. And he encourages Thomas ever so gently of just, no, Thomas, man, I, dude, I'm with you. And he corrects his doubt, restores his faith. And it's an amazing story. And it seems so simple compared to this pink elephant that's about to happen with Simon. And it, it's, it, it's kind of scary if I was Simon because up until this moment, it, the Bible does not record that Simon and Jesus have any type of, of like personal discussion. There's not been scripturally any moment where Jesus is like, hey, Simon, how are you, bud? <laughs> None of that, Right. It is an awkward moment. So a couple more days go by and Simon is out there with seven other disciples and they decide to go fishing. And they are like, hey, let's just go out there. This is what we know. I'm not gonna knock them for doing what they did before they met Jesus. Uh, I, I think some preachers get up here and they go, oh man, I, I can't believe they returned to fishing. They were just going back to what they know. Jesus hadn't given them any instruction yet. So naturally, let's just go fishing, guys. That's what we know how to do. So let's just go fishing. That's who we are. We're fishermen. Let's go. Let's do this. They had not received any mandate or the great commission yet. They had not received any of that. So they're just hanging out and they want to go fishing. And so 
This ironic thing happens. A man is on shore and says, have you caught anything? They said, no, nothing. He says, hey, why don't you guys throw your net on the other side? And the Bible says they caught 153 large fish. I have no idea of the significance of 153. I thought it was a cool fact. So they catch all these fish. And John realizes in that moment, one of the other disciples, I remember a moment like this three years ago. And he goes, guys, that's Jesus. The Lord is on the shore. And it says that Peter jumped out of the boat in excitement, swam to shore to embrace and to be with Jesus. And Jesus says, hey man, let's have some food. Let's have some comida. Let's get after this thing. Let's go, right? If you want to have food, you just let me know. I'll be there, okay? Anyway, Jesus is like, hey, let's have some food. So they start cooking some of the fish over the fire. They get out some, some baguettes and they start going to town on this breakfast, right? I don't know if they had baguettes, probably not, but they need them. So Peter's at the shore. The other disciples are at the shore. They're eating this breakfast. And Peter knows, I betrayed him. Jesus knows he betrayed me to my face. The other ones just ran away. This one actually did it to my face, right? So are we. We do too. Just because we don't see Jesus with our natural eyes doesn't mean that we don't betray him when we step into what we know we shouldn't. It's still right to his face. He's with us. And so up to this point, like I said, there's been no conversation and then they're sitting there and it's awkward because Peter knows there needs to be a conversation. Jesus knows there needs to be a conversation. It's kind of like when your wife goes to bed early one night and she says, hey, look, I just cleaned the kitchen. I just did the dishes. When I wake up in the morning, I don't want to see any dishes in the sink. And you're like, baby, I love you so much. I would never let a dish sit out overnight, right? I just, babe, I love you. Like, geez, right? And then the morning comes along and you walk downstairs and you see there's dishes in the sink because you had a couple snacks. And you go, oh no. And the wife is sitting there looking at the dishes. That awkward moment of, are we going to do this now or are we going to do this later? Right? It's usually now. I'm not speaking from experience. No, 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 no. I'm just wondering if maybe you have pink elephant moments like that with your spouse. That's all, you know, that's all I'm getting at. Right? Blame the husband. Men, have we been trained well enough yet to just say, yes, I'm sorry? Are we there yet? If not, we can have a whole other sermon right now. Right? But I'm just saying this is these awkward moments of conversation that you know are about to take place. And it's just that awkward feeling right there. It's a pink elephant in the room. And there is a giant pink elephant at the shore with Jesus, with Peter, and these six, seven other disciples. It is a pink elephant, and they know this is about to happen. Let's get into that conversation. John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. So, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, what if I just told you three massive pink elephants just walked on the shore? You say three pink elephants? Yeah, three very awkward things just happened. The first one, we see it because we're reading in English. Jesus asked the same question three times. That's awkward. Well, you don't, you don't ask the same question three times, 
right? Unless the person is answering, answering incorrectly, you, you, you bypass or you give them the answer. You, you don't ask the same question three times. Peter is sitting there. He's being asked this question. And I can guarantee you right now, Thomas, he's there. I can guarantee you he's like, it ain't me. <laughs> one of my favorite gifts that I see on Facebook is the Michael Jackson one eating popcorn. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. If you know, you know, right? Yeah. It's because some argument is happening on Facebook, right? Something is going on on the Facebook marketplace, right? Not the marketplace, but the Facebook stream right now, right? Something's happening and people are arguing it out. And we're kind of like Thomas sometimes where you just pull up a chair and just watch. Like, it's not me, <laughs> right? I'm just saying right now, if you, have, if you are a Facebook argumentative person, two things. Number one, either stop or just number two, keep going because it's great enjoyment for the rest of us. Like really having a good time with it. But these disciples are watching this take place and Jesus is like, hey, do you love me? Yes, I love you. The disciples are sitting there and Simon, do you love me? The disciples go, dude, he asked again. This is a little awkward. When Jesus asked the third time, even the scripture is telling us Peter was grieved. Like, you really have to ask me a third time right now? Like, Jesus, my buddies are here. What are you doing to me? This is awkward. I'm in front of people. What is going on here, right? Now, the second and the third pink elephants that are there on the shore, we can't see because we're reading it in English. We're missing some key things about what is going on here, right? So the second pink elephant on this shore is that the questions that Jesus asks Simon Peter are actually three different questions. They're all in the same vein. So it's still the whole awkward, like you're asking the same thing kind of three times, but Jesus is asking three different questions and then he gives three different instructions. Peter answers the same way every single time, except for the third time he says, Jesus, you know all things. You know that I love you. But it's still, he's answering the same way, right? And, and, and the third and final pink elephant is the most subtle one and it's in the name that Jesus uses to get Peter's attention it is the name Simon Peter was given at birth he calls him Simon now get this Simon Peter this is his hyphenated name Peter was the name that Jesus gave him after he met him and said man I like this guy no longer are you going to be called Simon instead I'm going to call you Peter I like Peter for you more. Peter is a symbol that Jesus is trying to build inside of Simon of who he's supposed to be. You could say it's kind of like a nickname, but it's more of an identity that Jesus is calling out of him. He says, I, everyone knows you as Simon, but because of me, they're not going to know you as Peter. I am calling something out of you, Simon, and it is not Simon. God is sitting there through Jesus saying, no, there's more to you than Simon. I have Peter that I have use of, and Peter is hidden in you, hidden in God. And so Simon is the name he went by before he met Jesus. Everyone knew him as Simon. However, Peter, again, is, is the name that Jesus gave him. And any time in the Bible when Jesus speaks to him, if he calls him Simon, it's to correct him. If he says, hey, Simon, or Simon Peter, it's because he's trying to instruct him to grow him. Anytime he calls him Peter in the Gospels, it's because it's an encouragement or it's a praise. It's, yes, you're being the person that I've called you to be. One, of the, one such example is when he says, hey, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
And Jesus says, yes, Peter, man has not told you this, but my father in heaven has instructed you on this. He's praising Peter and saying, yes, that is the person, the identity in you that I am trying to bring out of you. So Simon knows this. So Simon knows if you call me Simon, you're correcting me. And he doesn't want to be called Simon. He wants to be called the Greek word Petros, which is Peter or rock. And when Jesus, the resurrected body of Jesus, turns to him and says, Simon, not Petros, you can almost feel Simon Peter going, no, call me Petros. Don't call me Simon anymore. I don't want to get corrected. I don't want to have to go through this. I just want to be Petros. But in order to be Petros, every single one of us have to grow and move forward through correction. You cannot skip over Simon and just become Petros. Every single one of us must first confront the Simon inside of us to become the Petros that Jesus is calling out of us. And Jesus is almost sitting there as Simon has this yearning in his heart. No, call me Petros. And Jesus almost responds with a, I'll call you Petros when you start acting like Petros. Right? I, I, think, I think that's a valuable lesson we can learn right there. I'll call you Petros when you start acting like Petros. So Jesus walks Peter through this conversation. It's this progression, really. He's saying to him, through this whole conversation, you're going to earn the name I give you. You're going to earn it by walking in obedience to me. That is my sermon right there in a nutshell. So if you need to leave, I understand. Never mind, don't you dare leave. But he's saying this, Peter, through this conversation, you're gonna earn the name I give you and you're gonna earn it by walking in obedience to me. You and I in this room, if we wanna be the Petros, the rock that Jesus is calling forth in us, calling really out of us to become, you are gonna need to earn that name by walking in obedience to Jesus. You can't get around it. I love this Bible. There is nothing on planet earth more important than the scriptures because it tells us about who God is. Yeah. However, as much Bible study as you can manage to do, it does not reveal him to you. It talks about him, talks about what he's done, but I don't get to know him until I take what's in these words and I make it a foundation yeah. for my life. And I walk in obedience to the words that are found on this paper. Until then, this is useless. But until I take it and I say, no, this is how I will build my life. I'll walk in obedience to this. Now I start getting a revelation of who he is. John 3.16 is one of the most quoted Bible scriptures in the entire world. Everyone knows, almost everyone knows, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Almost everyone knows that scripture. I don't care where you go. A lot of people know John 3, 16. How many really understand his love and use that love to show it to all the people? Yeah. See what I mean? You can have the Bible study, but until you walk in obedience to it, you don't really get a revelation of who he is. You can know about him and not know him. That's why there are people who have studied this Bible who know it far better than I do, yet are so far away from Jesus. Yeah. Scholars and philosophers and, and people who try to disprove this thing, I bet you they know it better than me. I bet you they know it better than you, but they couldn't be farther from him. Knowing the Bible does not give you access to him. Obedience gives you access to him. Walking in obedience gives you the access. That's my sermon in a nutshell. There it is. But let's get into this, this 
this progression that he walks Peter through to grow him, to stabilize him, and to make him become the Petros that Jesus knows he can be. Pink elephant conversations, number one, Jesus meets us where we are. Now, it goes without saying that Jesus met Peter and the other disciples on the shore fishing, that physically he met him where they, where they, where they were. However, spiritually, Peter was met where he was, in the muck and in the mire, in the place of betrayal and denial, Jesus actually reaches down to him in this moment. See, Jesus has to reach back to Simon. Not Simon Peter, not Peter. He needs to reach back to Simon because Simon's the one who betrayed him. And he says, hey, I need to restore this relationship that you betrayed. So Simon, listen to me. Do you love me more than these? And he opens up this conversation. Let's, let's get back to this in just a second. The question is, did Jesus restore the relationship? Yes, he did. But it's more than just knowing that Jesus has this conversation and Peter says yes three times. You know how I know the conversation restored the relationship? I want you to go to Acts chapter 1, which is the events right after this scripture, and read through Revelation chapter 22, verse 21. I want you to do it tomorrow. I'm just kidding. Here it is. Anytime Simon is mentioned... He's only called Peter. Not once again is he called Simon. Not once again is he called Simon Peter, except for one instance, because there's a thing going around with the Gnostics at the time of sending false letters around saying, this is from Paul, this is from Peter, this is from whoever. And in, in 2 Timothy or 2 Peter chapter one, he says, hey, this is me, Simon Peter. Meaning this is me, I'm the disciple. No one else would know me as Simon Peter, but me. So I'm Simon Peter. And that's the only time in scripture from this moment forward that he's actually called Peter. Oh, never again. Is he called Simon? Never again, Simon Peter. He is Peter from this moment forward. Not, so I don't know that this relationship got restored because of the conversation. I know the relationship was restored because anytime Peter walked up to someone, he said, hey, my name is Petros. He didn't say, hey, my name is Simon. Hey, my name is Simon Peter. No, hey, my name is Petros. Why? Because Jesus restored a relationship with me. I don't want you to know me as Simon. That's not who I am anymore. I don't want you to know me as priest Stevie. I, I don't want you to know me as the one who, where I was. I want you to know where I am now. Amen. Just like you. Amen. You want people throwing out your, all your history and everything in front of them and saying, hey, look at what this guy did. Nobody likes that. Nobody enjoys that. I want to be known for who he's called me to be. And Peter is only called Petros from here on out. I find that totally amazing. So Jesus, again, he starts off this conversation. Simon, this yearning breaks down in his heart. He says, call me Petros. Basically saying, hey, you're, you're acting like Simon pre-Jesus. And I need Petros right now. I need the one who met Jesus and has followed Jesus for the past three years. Even while being married, Simon, you followed me and were committed to me. I need Petros. I don't need Simon anymore. And so he asked him, do you love me more than these? Why is he asking him that question? Why, why would Jesus compare and say, do you love me more than the other disciples? Well, it's very simple. Peter's the one who said, I love you more than the other disciples. <laughs> Jesus is not in the comparison business. I don't think that Jesus is concerned about um, saying, hey, do you, do you love me more? Like, am, am I your favorite out of this group? Jesus isn't into comparing. He's not gonna use someone else to compare you to. The, the standard is Jesus. He's gonna use himself to compare to but Peter's the one who said, no, I love you more than these. And so Jesus is showing him the folly of his stupidity. 
the, the, I guess the, the stupidity of his stupidity, whatever. He's showing him the stupidity in his statement, saying, do you love me more than these? Because you deserted me just like they did. So he's showing him, Peter, stop comparing yourself to them. Follow me. And the scriptures right after this, he says, stop thinking about them. Follow me. That's literally what he gets to after this. And so Peter answers this first one. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He says, feed my lambs. What Jesus is showing him is saying, Simon, you showed that you have a love and a desire for other people's acceptance when you denied me and you betrayed me. More important to you than the love and acceptance that I have for you. That's what you said. You betrayed me because you wanted the acceptance around the fire pit. You wanted to sit there and see what was going on rather than partake in the sufferings that I was doing. Can you blame them? <laughs> I'm just saying, I don't think many of us would say, yeah, cool, throw me up there on the cross with him. P Peter's doing what comes natural to the human. Betray when times are tough. Now, if we progress forward, we have to look at the words that Jesus used to ask these three questions. Because like I told you, the pink elephant here is that Jesus didn't ask the same question three times. He asked a modification of the question three times. He used a word we know, you can put it up there, agape. Agape is the Greek word for a sacrificial love that is displayed, meaning I am giving up for. And any time in the Bible that agape is used, it's, it's, it's inundated to God. This is, this is God loves sacrificially. He is the agape love. Anytime in scripture, agape is used, that's what it's referring to, the God type of love. And so Jesus sits down, he says, Simon, do you agape? Are you sacrificial in your love to me more than the rest of these? And Simon responds, yes, Lord, I phileo you. He doesn't use the same word. He says, yes, Lord, phileo is a brotherly type of love. So he says, are you sacrificial in your love towards me more than these? And Simon says, yes, Lord, I love you like a brother. Mm, that's not what I asked, Simon. I didn't ask if you love me like a brother. I asked if you are sacrificial more than the rest of these guys. Peter doesn't lie though. He can't lie. He, he literally, no, he, he can't say that he's sacrificially in love with Jesus because when faced with the opportunity to sacrifice, he didn't sacrifice. So Peter's being honest. Hey, Peter, Simon, are you sacrificial in love to me more than these guys? Jesus, I love you like a brother. Okay, let's get the others out of the picture. Second question, Simon, are you sacrificial in your love towards me? And Simon looks at him and says, Jesus, I love you like a brother. And Jesus says, still not where I'm looking for. If I say, Peter, are you sacrificial in love to me? I want you to say back, yes, Lord, I'm sacrificial in my love to you. But Peter doesn't go that way. And again, he's being honest. He's being accurate in his description of his love towards Jesus. He loves Jesus like his brother. And so finally, the third question comes along and Jesus changes his tone. He changes his word from agape to phileo. He says, Simon, do you love me like a brother? And Simon goes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you like a brother. Jesus just walked through this progression of number one, he met him where he was. And notice it didn't come with a gavel of sentence. It came with an extension of love. It came with grace. He didn't say, Peter, you're not sacrificial towards me. Why, why are you even here then? Why, why, what are you even a part of this conversation for? Why are you hanging out with the disciples if you're not sacrificial in love? None of that happened. He says, Peter, are you sacrificial for me? No. More than these guys? No. Okay. Peter, 
These guys out of the question, are you sacrificial towards me? Jesus, no, I'm not. I'd love you like a brother. Okay, so you love me like a brother. Yeah, I love you like a brother. Awesome, I'm glad I'm on the same level with you. Let's move forward. That's what he did. He met him where he was. So often we as Christians, we see someone in their walk with Jesus or not in the walk with Jesus, and we're so quick to point the finger rather than step off of the platform that we think we're on and meet them where they are and say, okay, we're here. Now, how do we get here? We've got to stop being so judgmental of people who are not as maybe committed as I am. Just because you have an issue doesn't mean that I don't. I had better meet you where you are. Peter was met where he was by the resurrected body of Jesus and there was no judgment for that? There was no rebuke for that. There was no correct. There was nothing other than just, hey, here's my mercy and my grace. I'm going to meet you where you are. I'm going to get off my platform. I'm going to get off my high horse. I'm going to get off my throne. And I'm going to meet you where you are. So let me ask you this. Where are you today? Where am I today? Because I can promise you then your walk with Jesus right now that he is not sitting there with a gavel in his hand waiting for the sentence to say, ah, I'm done with you. Yeah. He's sitting there and saying, what level do I need to step down to? I'll go as far as I need. I'll go to the depths of hell if I need to get to your level right. to get you out of this place. Right. We've got to understand who our Savior is. Yeah. He'll meet you anywhere. So where are you? Are you sacrificial in your love towards him? No? Okay, that's fine. Do you love him like a brother? Um, don't know yet. Uh, do you have a care or concern in your heart for him? Yeah? Okay, cool. That's a great starting place. Let's start there. And let's see how we can get up to a brotherly love. Or an affectionate love of saying, I'm, I'm committed to you and I'm making changes in my life for you. And, the, and then let's see how we can get to a sacrificial love where it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who died and rose again for my sins. We've got to stop pointing the finger and getting on people's level like Jesus. Because I can tell you right now, when we get on their level, we're showing the Petros that Jesus is calling out in every single one of us, the rock. Pink elephant conversations number two that we see here is Jesus compels us to grow. See, it's not good enough to just be on the level. Being on a level is just a starting block. And if you're on a level, thank God you're on a level. Thank God, because that means you're alive. That means you have a starting block somewhere. Jesus will meet you where you are. We as a, as a church to change life, we will meet you where you are and I will gladly walk you through any process that we need to go through to help uh, get growth into your life. Yeah. Why? Because Jesus compels us to grow. He didn't leave Peter on his level. He called it out of him. And Peter, how do I know that Peter one day did grow from this conversation? How do I know this? Because one day he died on a cross upside down, sacrificially laying his life down as a martyr for Jesus. I would say, yes, Peter learned how to be sacrificially in love with Jesus. Even though at one point he wasn't, God got him to the place where he was sacrificially in love with him. And so Jesus walks him through this progression of growth with his three responses. He says, first time, feed my lambs. Lambs are baby sheep. I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm a California boy. I thought lambs were a different animal. I'm going to sip water with that. I did not know the lambs were baby sheep. And if you were going to sit there and point the finger at me, go ahead. 
But Jesus is telling Peter, I hear the chuckle is still going. Guys, it doesn't help me. Jesus is telling Peter in this moment, hey, feed my lambs. He's saying, I want you to take care of those who are new to the flock. Because how you're on a starting block too, everyone else is. So wherever their starting block is, feed them. Take care of them. Feed my lambs who may be on a lower starting block than you. Those who are new to the faith, new to the church. Church, I'm telling you right now, when someone new walks in these doors on a Sunday, we need to love them and love them through it and love them regardless of whatever. We've got to be those people who love the lambs, who feed the lambs. Everyone, especially those new to the faith, need good encouragement and good teaching to grow into healthy sheep. You can't stay a baby forever. You've got to grow. Babies need food. You're here today because your mommy, your daddy, or whoever it was gave you food when you were a baby. That's why you're alive today. You became a sheep. You became an adult, right? So if you're, Simon, if you love me, take care of those new to the church. The second time he says, Peter, are you sacrificial love towards me? Jesus, I love you like a brother. He says, okay, then shepherd my sheep. This is a different answer. This is a different thing. Jesus right here now, he is calling out the Petros in Peter. He's saying, okay, I want you to lead if you, if you love me, I want you to lead my people. I want you to be someone who is stable. I want you to be the rock. Now, what are rocks? Rocks are consistent. Rocks are removable. Rocks stay where you put them. I challenge you, this week, grab a boulder, throw it in your yard. It ain't gonna move. Jesus is saying, hey, if you wanna be Petro, stop moving around. Be consistent. Be stable where you are. Stay where you are. Be there be consistent. Why? Because my people need someone who is calm, cool, and collected, who ain't going to desert on them when things get tough again. Peter, Petros, be stable. Ladies and gentlemen, be stable. This is not just a call to pastors. This is a call to people. Be stable. One of the things that I hate to see the most is, is when, when, when you hear of someone saying, man, I've been looking for a home church. I've been trying to find a home church. I have gone to this place and this place and this place and this place and this place. And everywhere I go, I just kind of see something I don't like. I go, you're always going to see something you don't like. I'm on staff here. I see things I don't like. (laughs) Right? I want it to grow and I want it to move forward. I'm not talking about numbers. I'm talking about spiritual growth. I'm talking about people growing in their walk with God. We should always be unsatisfied. But... Man, we, we've got to be people who say, you know what? All right, I'm plugging in. That's why I love membership class so much. Yeah. Right? It's not because I want it to feel like Costco and be like, hey, I got my member card. <laughs> Smile, cheese, right? That's not what it's for. It's about saying, no, this is ownership. This is yeah. my place. Yeah. Part of the things that we talk about in a membership class is our 16 fundamental truths that we find in scripture. We say, hey, look, these are irrefutable things that we will not go against. This is our doctrine. This is it right here. These 16 fundamental things that we will always stand for. The other things we talk about is the five things as a church that we value, which is youth, kids, worship, preaching, and community. So you learn about those five things that we say, hey, we care so much about these things. These are so important to us as a church. They are our passions. They're on our website. We are passionate about these five things happening in in our church. You learn about that. But more so, it's about you saying, you know what? I'm going to dive in full heartedly here. It means my time, my energy, my talents, and my treasure are going to be right here. I'm going to give. People, people are afraid of the tithes and offerings. We don't pass the buckets anymore, so at least the pressure's off. <laughs> right? But man, 
People, we, we, we hold on to these finances of ours because we think, oh, I got I to hold on to this. I got to hold on to this. I got to hold on to this. I'll tell you right now, you can do far more with 90% than you ever could with 100%. Amen. Why? Because you put them first. He said, no, Jesus is, is first in this. And I support what Jesus is doing in our church and in our city and our community through our church. Man, I can't wait to be a part of this. We hold it in. And membership says, no, no, no. If you're going to be a member here, you're saying, yeah, I commit to this. I think some of us need that commitment. We should say, yeah, you know what? Okay, I've been maybe slacking off or not doing it. Or man, I, I, I need to give. I need to be a part of this. And maybe you need to work your way up to a 10%. I don't know what it is for you. The Bible says give as it has been given unto you. And, and then maybe that's what you need. Maybe you just say, okay, maybe I don't fully trust God with the 10% yet, but maybe I can just give him 5% and see what happens, right? And next time comes up, 6%, 7 Work your way up to it. Why? Starting block. I'm at least starting somewhere until I can get to a place where I'm in full obedience to him. Start somewhere. Be a part of it. That's why I love membership classes. You're saying, yeah, I'm, I'm in. I'm a part of this thing. I'm going to serve. I'm going to be part of a team. I'm going to do something to help these people. I'm going to do it because we know that these people in this church need help. Don't tell anybody. Okay? He says, hey, you need to be Petros. You need to provide stability. You need to be planted in a church. You need to help it grow. That's what I need from you. The third time, he says, Peter, Simon, do you love me? Do you, do you love me like a brother? Simon says, yes, I love you like a brother. And he says, okay, feed my sheep. What is he saying? I want you to make sheep that make lambs. I, I want you to take care of those who are older than the faith because they're gonna make lambs. Sheep begot sheep. So in order for our church to move forward, generationally, we need to take care of the sheep because sheep make lambs. And lambs make sheep, and sheep make lambs, and lambs make sheep, and sheep make lambs, and lambs make sheep. We need to generationally feed people where they are. He says, feed my sheep. Take care of them where they are. Meet them there and take care of them so the cycle can happen. So that more lambs can come in and more sheep can grow. And then more lambs can come in and sheep can grow. It's the cycle of a church. It's what should be happening. He's saying, I need you to meet them where they are. As I have met Simon where Simon is, meet people where they are. See, Jesus loved Simon. He cared about him, but his love did not have a tolerance for the actions of Simon. Jesus' love for Simon caused Simon to grow to become Peter. It's love. It's an awkward conversation. It's a pink elephant in the room, but it's growth that comes out of it. God's love is so patient with the Simon and every one of us, but his love is holy and it is intolerant of Simon-like behavior. We have got to realize this as a church, as a person, as people. Jesus' love is intolerant of Simon-like behavior in my life. Until I can be honest with my evaluation of where I am, I won't grow. See, I believe that God is calling out a name in every single one of you today. I believe that God is calling forward the Petros inside of you to lead, to feed lambs, to feed sheep, to shepherd people. That's what Jesus is calling out of every single one of us today. It's a name that describes a new person that has been brought to life. Jesus has a name for you and it is not Simon. Jesus is calling forward something in you today and he's telling you, earn the name I give you. Ephesians chapter four says it like this, live in a way that is worthy of the call of God on your life. That's who we should be that I am living in a way that is worthy of the call that he's placed on me. So how do we grow? This progression should lead you and I to obedience. Every time Simon Peter said, yes, Jesus, I love you like a brother, Jesus gave an instruction to him. 
He says, okay, if you, Ellie, if you're here, if you can join me on the keys. He says, okay, you love me like a brother? I want you to take care of other people. Notice that in all of these conversations, I'm sorry, in all of these answers, in all these responses, Jesus never once told him to look inward. Simon, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, you know that I love you. Okay, I want you to care really tenderly about your person, about who you are. And I want you to make sure that you are well rested and taken care of. No, he says, okay, you love me? Take care of someone else. Oh, you love me? Take care of a group of people. Oh, you say you love me? I really need you to serve and take care of these people over here. Not once did he tell them to turn inward. So often we turn inward in our walk with Jesus. You know how, this is one of the ways that we turn inward. We chase miracles. That's one thing that we do. We chase, we want to see God do something physically. Like, oh, just put it together, Jesus. Like the Lego set, build it. Like miracle, right? That's essentially what you're asking him, by the way, right? So it's like, Jesus, do something. We want to see something. We want to see something amazing happen in our lives. And that's an inward thing. Why? Because who doesn't want to see something amazing? We all do, right? It's, it's amazing. Otherwise, it wouldn't be called amazing. We want to see miracles. Miracles are not the sign, or the, yeah, they really are not the sign of Jesus moving. I don't know that because the Bible says false people are going to show up and they're going to perform, perform miracles too. Miracles are not the sign that Jesus is among you. People serving other people is a sign that Jesus is among you. Amen. That Jesus is working in your life. Why? Because you're laying down your life for someone else. How can I help you today? That is a sign that Jesus is with people. Stop seeking outward appearances of miracles and start serving. In that, I promise you, you'll see miracles. It'll happen. But we're too hungry for a self-satisfaction desire inside of us that is unhealthy that we're unwilling to stoop down to someone's level in the muck and the mire and the mud to pick them up where they are. Why? Because I just want to see God move. He is moving. He's moving right now. When people get touched and changed and lives are transformed, I think of Kimberly. I asked her before service, I could do this. Someone who did not grow up in church, wasn't around Jesus, has a moment with Jesus and all of a sudden it's like, oh, hold on a second, hold on a second. I am reevaluating everything. Tell me that's not a miracle. That she showed up at a church in Cuna, Idaho and people were willing to serve and say, hey, how can we help you? That is the miracle. I'm not going to seek some selfish desire inside of me when I need to seek to save and to help than the person next door. If we are unwilling to do that, how can the love of God be in us, the Bible says? The sign that Jesus is with you is that you're willing to serve. Not just willing, but you are. You're serving. Shows that Jesus is with you. So my question right now is, are you walking in obedience to what he has whispered to you? We say, hey guys, we really need help in kids ministry. We really need help in our live stream. We need, really need help in sound or, or worship. If you got instruments and you know how to play and someone other than your mom says you're good, then we want to talk to you. <laughs> but you've got gifts, you've got talents inside of you. Yeah. Serve. Yeah. Do, you, do you love me? Then serve. Yeah. You, care, oh, you, you, you care about me. Yeah. Cool. Can you get plugged in? Yeah. No, I'm not saying me, Stevie. I'm talking about Jesus. He's calling Simon to go away in you and Petros to come forward. Are you going to allow Petros to rise up inside of you today? Are you going to put aside the human nature and take on the supernatural nature that God is trying to bestow upon you and put put inside of you? Some, Some closing thoughts that I have. 
Simon betrayed and denied Jesus. And I want to know today if, if we have been betraying and denying Jesus. It's not a question I can answer for you. And I'm not going to sit up here with a finger and point you because I got point, fingers pointed right back at me. Have, have I denied Jesus in the workplace? Have I denied him in the way I treat other people? Have I denied him in my home by not leading my family? Have I denied him in my finances? Have I denied him with my phone or my computer? Have you? Have I denied him by not putting the death, putting to death the sin that I've been coddling? I'm not asking you, I'm asking me. And I hope that you're asking yourself. Have you been denying him with what you've been holding on to? Are we denying him by refusing to grow and to become holy? This is for those who've called Chains Life Church home. I'm coming at you right now. Are we denying him in that? It's time to address the pink elephant in the room and have an awkward conversation with Jesus. We say, Jesus, we need to deal with this. I think a lot of times we parents can be guilty of this. We are the spiritual thermostat in our home. A thermometer tells the temperature. A thermostat sets it. Are we being a thermostat in our homes? Yeah. Say, no, we follow Jesus here. Yeah. This is who we are. This is what we do. Set the thermostat to Jesus. This goes for grandparents too. I know not everyone in this room has, you, some of you guys are empty nesters. God bless you. <laughs> but are you, are you setting the, thermo, the, the thermostat in your home when it's just you and your spouse? Are you setting the thermostat in your home when the grandkids come over, whoever it may be? Some of you, I know from conversation, you've got grandkids that come around, their parents don't follow Jesus. Are you setting the spiritual thermostat when they're around? See, it's time to become the Petros that he's set inside of you, to be the mom, to be the dad that your parents need, that your kids need. It's time to be the husband or the wife that your spouse needs. It's time to be the person that this city needs. It is time. We don't have till tomorrow. The time is now. We go now. Jesus is looking at every single one of us and saying, do you love me? Are you sacrificial towards me? No? Okay. Do you love me like a brother? No? Okay. Do, do you have a care or concern in your heart for me? Yeah? Okay, cool. Let's start there. Where are you at on this staircase? You could, you could call it. It's not really a staircase. But where are you on the starting block today? Because wherever you are, Jesus is still going to ask you to look outward. Don't turn inward. Look outward. The Christian life is not inward. The Christian life is public. The Christian life is to be a part of other people's lives. Don't turn inward. Jesus wants you to go and serve other people. Why do I know that? Because God's response of love to me was to save me from my sin. I was his enemy. I was running from him. I was blaspheming him. I was acting in ways that I knew I shouldn't just because I wanted to show my parents that I didn't care about Jesus at all. I was doing things that I know I shouldn't have been doing just to prove a point. I want nothing to do with your Jesus. And still in that moment, Jesus said, no, I'll die for you. I'll give my life for you. Yeah, I'll do that. Why not? Why not? Why? Because I love you. And my love is sacrificial. I don't know where you are this morning. Hopefully you're not where I was. Of doing things just to make Jesus mad. But maybe you are. And just as I walk down these stairs, I promise you right now, Jesus is walking down the stairs saying, I'll meet you where you are. I'll meet you right where you are. The sin, oh, I'm not embarrassed by that. It doesn't bother me one bit. Oh, you don't deserve what I did for you. Okay, that's fine. That's what makes Jesus so remarkable. 
because we don't deserve what he did for us. I don't deserve that he would die for me. I deserved it. You deserve it. Yet Jesus says, no, I'll die for you. Right where you are in the mess that you are in, I will sacrificially lay my life down for you. Why? So that I can meet you where you are. Every head bowed, every eye closed across this room, you're here today and you say, you know what? Yeah, that's the love that I've been missing. That that's what I'm not getting. And today I need to call on Jesus to be my Lord and be my savior. You're in this room, nobody's looking around but me. Would you do me a favor and raise your hand real quick, please? Anybody in this room? Thank you for that hand. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for that hand. Nothing could be better. I wanna celebrate with these two people right now. If we could repeat this prayer, if we say, Father in heaven, I call upon Jesus and I declare today that Jesus is Lord. And today, Father, I ask for your forgiveness through the shed blood of Jesus. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, I'm gonna live my life for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we celebrate two people just now? Come on, heaven is in an uproar. Come on, church, God is good and amazing. My encouragement to you today is maybe you need to go home. Maybe you need to let the day kind of go by. But tonight, before you lay down, I want you to say, Jesus, are there any pink elephants that we need to talk about? Anything that we need to confront? Anything I need to confess? Anything I need to get out? Jesus, where's the pink elephant that's been hindering my growth and my obedience to you? What do I need to address to help and serve my neighbor? Why have I withheld from doing that? Jesus, help me to grow. Help me to become more like you. That's my prayer for you as you leave today. God bless you. We'll see you Wednesday at 7 o'clock. Have an amazing rest of your day.